Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. Hello, you were listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I am the host, Ami Corcone. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away really good and useful information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Today, I have with me Ayelet Moranovich. She is a pediatric speech-language pathologist, a singer, a parent educator, a theater person, storyteller, and a partner. She is also the author of Understanding Your Baby, a week-by-week development and activity guide for playing with your baby from birth to 12 months, which is available on Amazon. And she has a fantastic online resource and community for new parents called Strength in Words that I also wanted to share with us today. Hi, Ayelet. Welcome to One Broken Mom. Hi, Amy. It's so nice to speak with you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, my pleasure. Um, one of the things that I like to do with the show is, you know, cover this broad spectrum, you know, of parenting. And because I have teenagers <laughs> now, I feel like, I, you know, well, yeah, I can't, you know, whatever happened as a baby, it's done. But I do have <laughs> listeners, you know, that just had children um, or still have some very young children. And so, you know, this yeah. is an important topic for me to be able to have you coming in as that early, early childhood development expert to talk about, you know, the mm-hmm. things that we can do. Um, you know, I just found uh, the quote by Pam Leo of like, let's raise children that they don't have to recover from their childhood from. So we're going to get them now <laughs> at zero <laughs> and you're going to help some people figure out like what they can do there. So let's start this off. Um, tell everybody who you are and, and what you do. Sure. So uh, again, my name is Ayelet. And uh, as I was saying to you, I mean, it's a, it's a great name for a speech pathologist, a speech <laughs> therapist. Uh, I, <laughs> my background is uh, as a sort of early communication person. I don't really, I really sort of shy away from that term, uh, parenting expert or communication expert. I hate the word expert, <laughs> mostly because there is no expert on anything except anyone who, who knows that child or that person or, you know, whatever. Right. I am a professional who works with young children. I am a professional who works with parents. Uh, I am a mom and I have two little boys. Uh, one is four and a half and one is one and a half as we sit and record this. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're both really different. And <laughs> parenting is insane. <laughs> right. And, enjoy- and joyful and incredible and hard. And I, um, I think when, when I had my first, uh, we were living abroad at the time. We were living in London. And I was really um floored <laughs> I think by the by the that sense of incredible vulnerability and you know in my own professional career I had spent the better part of the that last decade working with families with infants and toddlers and you know I thought I was really good at it <laughs> and, and then I had a baby and I was like oh my gosh there's so much more work that I could be doing because you know that of that 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 feeling, and especially when you add in uh, a family who's dealing with sort of atypical early development um, or any kind of you know issue with that developmental trajectory, 
you know, we, there's so much more sensitivity that we need to give mm-hmm. uh, to all parents, regardless of their child's developmental level, regardless of what they're dealing with, because we don't know, um, you know, coming in, especially as a professional who, who works with people in their homes, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you have no idea, you have no idea what that parent is feeling and what that child is dealing with. And it's, um, so that, that was sort of where I am coming from and why I started Strength in Words, which is really just the place for families to come to access high quality, evidence-based information and resources uh, and ideas for interacting with their little one and also accessing each other and other professionals. So I felt that there was a real lack of sort of uh, those high quality resources and, and helping people access that easily because, you know, there's so much out there, especially right now in this sort of age of digital parenting. Mm-hmm. And there's so much crappy information and, right. and bad information sharing and, you know, tearing down of each other. And I think it's so important to remember as parents and caregivers of young children that we only know our own experience. And it's it's so important to to respectfully parent, not only show respect of our own children's process of learning, but to each other. Um, And so that is sort of the mission I'm on to, to help with that. (laughs) And that's awesome. And I I think you, you bring up some like really like important things for people to realize is, you know, um, when you, we all have our own experiences. We all have our own DNA, you know, that's the being shaped by those experiences. And there aren't any, you know, unfortunately there aren't any, you know, solid rules about what to do. Every kid is going to be different. And the parent's (laughs) response to that is going to be based on how they were parented and, and, and everybody's, you know, everybody's building off of a different and very unique foundation. There are some elements to it though, that we do know. And I, and I'm with you here. Like, you know, one of my Mm -hmm. mission purposes here with one broken mom is in my own research is discovering how much you know neurobiology and neuroscience has been able to uncover yeah. the mysteries of the mind you know up until cat scans and mris and also the software mm-hmm. to process that data there was a lot of speculation on what we thought was going on in the brain. And now in the last, you know, two decades, you know, since most of us have already grown up and started having kids, we're researchers and scientists discovering really how brain architecture happens. And it's not just motor development, you know, when to roll over, when to pee and poop and all that, but it's also that (laughs) there's a genuine emotional component to it that is, that's informed by biology, not just, you know, random stuff that comes out like, you know, box that, you know, brain out of the box, ready to go. Um, right. And all of it is influenced by our environment. I mean, right. like you said, some of it is biological and some of it is that environment. And that's, we know that that's how humans learn and develop is through observation, imitation of other people and interaction with other people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. I mean, that's how, that's how they learn. So when they're in a Uh, an environment that is not conducive to that, then there will, there will be more difficulties that path to learning and develop and, you know, Right. Uh, fulfilledness is, is just that much more difficult. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I agree. And, you know, and what we do, you know, and what I hopefully as a parent listening to this um, sees and understands what, you know, that self-help piece of it of, 
wow, Mm -hmm. if I, maybe that didn't happen while I was developing and maybe that's why I feel the way I do today, that why I trigger or whatever it is. And so that's kind of the twofold path of, you know, the show Mm -hmm. here. Um, And so there, and and now we're talking about a time where there is new supporting research and data that shows about toxic stress and toxic environments, but yet new parents are probably still getting advice based on older theories. And it, you know, they're all helpful. You know, grandma has one way and the other grandma has a different way. And they're all pretty certain that because their kid grew up perfect that, you know, their way is the right (laughs) way. And then you've got, like you said, this flood of digital, you know, support and information. And it's overwhelming for new parents because they're like, I, you know, who am I supposed to listen to? So what's your advice to new parents on how for them to figure out what they can push to the side and what information is probably good for them to take in so that, you know, because we all want to train our new parents. I mean, that's why you and I are here. Um, so help, help my new parents figure out, you know, what they should and, and should not be paying attention to. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, first of all, you know, we all come into this mess of parenting thinking that it, with, with certain preconceived notions. Now, whether that is, you know, a kind certain philosophy that we have about uh, parenting, how we want to parent, um, whether that is just the way we were raised, um, all of the influences that come in to this, that we come into this with, uh, influence and shape and color are, are what we think the experience is going to be like. I think, uh, in general, there's so much, like we said, so much parenting advice out there. I think the, the biggest thing to do is seek out things that that are not, you know, hard and fast. I think the key is that oftentimes someone who purports themselves to be the sleep expert, the blah, blah, blah expert, um, is trying to sell you something, right? (laughs) Right, And, um, And what we all have to do is recognize the fact that, okay, we might come into this wanting parenting to be a certain way or thinking it's going to be a certain way. And then our, our baby might show us or our, the relationship we have with a, whatever parenting partner we have might re- help us recognize that, no, that's not how it's going to be like at all. Um, and I mean, I can tell you from my own experience, for instance, with my first to my second, you know, I mean, once you've parented one child, that means you've parented one child. That, right. that doesn't mean that you know how to parent. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's sort of the key there, right? Is is that uh, when we can find resources that speak to us in terms of the kinds of things that we we believe or understand, I mean, you're going to find that, you know, there are, if you believe a certain thing, there are going to be articles uh, and research, you know, that purports itself to help uh, promote that belief system, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I think the key is for me, because I don't believe that there is a right or wrong way to parent. I believe that the more information, the more high quality information that we can ingest, uh, the better sort of equipped we are and empowered we feel to do that big job of raising tiny humans. Because there are people all around the world in all different eras of, of parenting, you know, thinking that this is the right way and that's the right way. And as you said, right, our moms or our grandmothers, you know, they grew up with, say, Dr. Spock or, you know, 
putting brandy on our baby's gums, right? And like, you know, 30 years later, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that, right? And there's going to be like, our kids are going to do exactly the same to, thing to us and what, for whatever is the, you know, parenting du jour mm-hmm. thing then. What is, what I think is, you know, really useful and what I try to help families to help equip families with is those sort of basic pieces of knowledge about how humans learn and develop. And when we have that knowledge, then we can feel more equipped uh, with, with information about how our babies learn so that we can do the job of parenting, right? And, and learning, I mean, in those sort of four major areas of cognition, communication, motor and sensory learning, and social and emotional development. So when we have information about how young humans l- do that process, right, of learning, mm-hmm. then, then we can do our, our best job to help them do it. And I think the hard thing is that the, the baby industry, quote unquote, has a lot of skin in the game, right? And yeah. so there are, um, whenever there's a market, there is, you know, people willing to pay. And of course, the biggest thing, I think, as you said earlier, that people would love to pay for is the right way. Just tell me, just give me the roadmap, right? Just give me yeah. what's the right thing for me to do. And, and of course, as we all know, there is no right thing to do. Um, but again, I, I am a big believer in information. And what, what I try to provide is sort of a um, a, a hub for that information. Cool. Yeah. And, that's, <laughs> and obviously I'm not the only person doing that. Right. Sure. So, so you seek out resources that speak to you. That's the answer, right? You, yeah. you find, um, things that are, you know, evidence-based and, um, and, and actually based in, in developmental research in, you know, whatever it is that, that speak to you and that you feel like, okay, well now I can make a decision based on what I know and based on my own family's needs, because that, that stuff isn't going to give you the roadmap. That stuff is going to give you some tools. Right. Right. And that's, that's all you can hope for. Right. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's kind of like, you know, the research based stuff, which again is now is very recent. I know 20 years doesn't feel recent, but that really is recent. That's like a generation, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But the research is going to tell you the mouth is where you insert the food. Right. And then you have to decide what the food is going to be and whether or not, you know, it can tolerate tomatoes or avocados or whatever. Um, And that's the kind of the individual experience. Well, and, you know, and you mentioned Dr. Spock and he's, you know, famous for saying back in 1946, trust yourself, you know, more than you think you do. Like, you know, he was, he was sitting there trying to convince, you know, tell moms, you know, Hey, hold on, hold on. You, you actually have an instinct here that's valid and you do, you do know and, and, and feel that and trust that that intuition. And I think that's what you're saying there too, is use that guide to guide that information. So, you know, people look at babies, you know, they come out, they don't move a lot. They make some noise and do they do (laughs) stuff. And, um, and, People probably don't understand that there's a lot of emotional development that's going on and the opportunities to start building that happen. Um, So just, you know, tell everybody how important is emotional development in those first few months of life for baby? It's hugely important and it's all intertwined. I think the biggest thing to recognize really is that infants and toddlers learn 
holistically, right? So they're always, they're, they're living in this like crazy sensory world all the time where they are ingesting all kinds of information uh, and their brains are trying to make sense of it, right? So we, we feed them patterns. We feed them uh, patterns of how we nurture them, how we talk to them, how we, how we set them down and pick them up, how we, how, you know, the kinds of environmental things that we expose them to, whether that's light or fresh air or soft things and hard things, and, you know, breast milk or bottles or whatever it is, like we are giving them everything that they, and, and then they make sense with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the patterns of behavior that we uh, show them and interact with them uh, helped them to form that the bond with us. And I'm not talking about attachment parenting. I'm talking about an attachment mm-hmm. and attachment, right? And we know that um, babies do need to form secure attachments with one or more primary caregivers uh, in order for those big things to happen. And mm-hmm. the part of sort of social and emotional development of that domain of development have to do with things like uh, the development of interaction, of, uh, of interaction between uh, peers, between adults and baby, uh, the ident- development of identity, of uh, identity of self, identity of other people in the environment, right? And, and then whether they have a bond with other people, right? Mm-hmm. It's that social piece. And do I feel uh, connected to someone else and secure in the idea that this person is here for me, uh, with me to nurture me, will support me, that I'm not just going to go unheard, that my needs will be met and, and that I'm going to be able to grow and develop so that I can then expand my world. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's a huge piece. Uh, You know, I don't know that many um, parents, I mean, I feel like, you know, when I started on my parenting journey, like 16 years ago, this whole idea, and you mentioned attachment parenting, you know, or the attachment Mm -hmm. theory here, like no one ever really talked about like, Hey, that little person is looking for somebody to always be there. Like that's, that's the foundation that life will come from them. Like their exploration, their, you know, their knowledge, their love, how they're going to form a relationship is going to be based on whether or not they've got that. And, you know, and that's a frightening Mm -hmm. concept to sit there and go, Oh, wow. I I really wish those were things that, you know, and I feel like I've got a great relationship with kids now, but the, the fact is, is that a lot of times, you know, adults grow in, to having insecure relationships or having bad relationships. And, you know, and then when you go, well, it goes all the way back to the beginning and you're just like, whoa, like this is, this is kind of a big deal. I I probably should pay more attention here. in like, you know, (laughs) that first year, which is why we're, we're talking here. Um, And so part of that too is, um, you know, the concept of serve and return, which is Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, babies send out a signal and a parent has to respond back to that. You know, you know, talk a bit Mm -hmm. about that process and how that actually helps form that attachment, that bond of security, you know, for a baby and what they're learning from that. Sure. Well, I think, first of all, I want to just make sure that people understand that we are not talking about complicated things here. We're using very big language to describe something that is literally like, you look at your baby, he looks back at you. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Like, (laughs) this is, and like, (laughs) um, the basic under you know, what is a conversation? 
it is two people sending a message back and forth to each other. We talk about turn taking as a very basic um, part of communication development, right? Uh, so we have, say, uh, I mean, that, that starts so early and you can support that so early and in very simple ways, right? I mean, one way you can do that is to literally appear in your baby's face and say, you know, perform a finger play and then pause and wait for some, you know, uh, reaction, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> a smile, a squeal, uh, a gurgle, I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> them closing their eyes, a cry, right? And <clears throat> based on that reaction, you are going to then uh, integrate that into the way you take your turn, right? So mm -hmm. I think um, the idea is, you know, when a, an infant or young child, you know, babbles or or gestures or, or cries for that matter, uh, the adult then responds. Um, and whether that's with verbal or nonverbal communication, um, when we do that turn-taking act, serve, return, mm -hmm. um, that's how we build that brain development. That's mm -hmm. how we strengthen, uh, like I was saying, that pattern of, okay, this is something to pay attention to. Uh, I put something into the world and it comes back at me in whatever way that is, right? And that's how we develop uh, communication skills, social communication skills. And like I said, again, like these things don't happen in isolation. Everything is holistic learning in those early years. Mm -hmm. So social and emotional development is extremely correlated to communication development and motor development and uh, cognitive development, right? Because we know that all of those things have to do with each other, right? A, a child who is gesturing is using a motor behavior. Mm -hmm. A child who is turning back to the caregiver is is communicating and using communication for a social purpose to engage that caregiver in this, like, did you see that? Like this, what we call joint attention skill. We're both attending to the same thing and we're both acknowledging that we're both attending to it, right? So that act of like pointing and looking at something then becomes a social thing. Right. So it's this sort of back and forth and we build capacity to engage with each other. Yeah. So yeah. when a caregiver is responsive, that, that engages and, and creates an environment that is language rich, that is socially, emotionally socially and emotionally rich so that we can provide opportunities for our babies and young children to observe us in, you know, our environment, in our natural environment, to engage with us and interact with us and imitate the things that we are doing, right? I mean, a very basic example of, you know, serve and return is like you looking at your newborn face, sticking out your tongue and your baby naturally imitating you. It's amazing. They do that from, from birth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I, and one of the, and one of the things too is, and I, you were talking there and I'm thinking like, you know, this whole of uh, trying to get attention, you know, saying, Hey, can you see what yeah. I see? And looking in the same direction. Those are some of the yeah. skills that um, help build and strengthen adult relationships. You know, and they talk about like, you know, how do you know, that how do you know that two people are going to do well together? It serve and return is like a, is a lifetime of it. And, and you do <laughs> your expectations from it. Like, what were you exposed to as a kid? What was your relationship like? Um, and, and yeah. I, know, and, and, you know, um, 
one thing too, you know, about this, this particular topic that, that my understanding of it as well is if the returns are inconsistent or um, inappropriate, mm-hmm. then that's, mm-hmm. that, that becomes a root, you know, quite possibly of developing anxiety, you know, through, you know, a child that mm. becomes anxious and stuff like that. So, you know, mm. let's, let's, let's caution some parents. What do we mean by like an inconsistent response or an inappropriate response, you know, so that they're like, Oh, I, I mm-hmm. get that because right. Kid sends out a signal, expects something in return, but at one point mom or dad ignores it, you know, and consistently right. does it, or they, you know, yell or, you know, or they're freaked out because they're stressed. Parents are humans too. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so let's say, let's say mom slips up and doesn't, you know, the kid's trying to say, Hey, look at the butterfly. And they're like, I'm too busy right now. How can mom recover from something like that? So that again, we're still sending the positive, you know, right. um, connection that we want. Yeah. Well, and as a parent of two young children, I, I feel guilty about this every day, right? right. <laughs> because right. we're I human. can't possibly attend to everyone's need, needs at the same time. Right. Yeah. And I want to just also just acknowledge that like, we can't, we can't catch every single thing. There's so much happening at every given moment with a child. A baby is learning every day, every single piece of interaction, every single moment is filled with opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. And we're not going to catch it all. And that's okay. But I think the biggest thing to be aware of is number one, you know, you've got we're all attached to a very, very powerful piece of information that allows us to engage with the outside world. And we are socially isolated when we have new people, new tiny people, right? Mm-hmm. So the when we are on our phones looking down, instead of looking and listening to our babies, we're missing out. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I want to en- encourage everybody to find, you know, to be less socially isolated and find what you need to find and do what you need to do to survive those years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, and, you know, engage with the baby and know that everything you're doing when you are on that phone, your baby is learning that that phone is the most important thing in the world mm-hmm. and in the room. And <laughs> I think just to remember that, we are always sending messages, whether we intend to or not. Yeah. So, <laughs> so congratulations, uh, you parents. Don't be frightened. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, and we're going to mess it up. That's the nature of being human, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and of being a parent. Like, we're not always going to get it right. I right. think it's the big, the big piece is if we lapse, if we miss a moment, that's okay. What we want to do is come back and re-engage and, um, you know, respond. I think the other thing is like we, some of us are naturally talkative and some of us are natural introverts. Mm -hmm. And it feels really weird to talk to a baby who is not responding in a sort of quote unquote typical conversational manner. Mm -hmm. But we have to remember it. That's how, when we speak to them, that's how they learn to do that. So take a couple minutes out of your day every day or every week or however, you know, start small. Um, Talk to the baby about what you are doing, about what your baby is doing, about something you're going to do later in the day, about, um, you know, what's happening in the environment around you, right? This is why, like, books are so useful, right? Because we can talk about what's happening on the page and the picture. Or this is why music can be useful, because we can sing about what's happening around us 
and not worry about remembering the words, right? Right. <laughs> so there are lots of ways that we can engage with our little people um, in ways that sort of make it a little bit more interesting for them and more interesting for us and more natural for us. I don't know if that answers the question. No, no, I no. Hope so. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and I mean, those are <laughs> okay. those are some great things for for parents to to think about. And, I mean, and I think you know one of the key overriding messages is that we we are human, and definitely you know my yeah. I, I'm not. I, I've said this before, this isn't about shaming or guilt or anything like that. No. It is about, no. you know, support. And, but, but that means don't talk around the things you need to know that, you know, you might trip on and, you know, and I, like I said, I wish somebody would have told me there was a trip hazard out there for me to miss, you know, and that's, that's why when we bring <laughs> these things up of like, if you're going to F up someplace, this might be one of those areas. And so let's just like, you know, minimize what we can. Yeah. Um, you know, I think another piece that I wanted to bring up was, um, is about late acknowledging those things, Mm -hmm. you know, showing our children, even from a very young age that we do screw it up and that's okay. And it's okay to screw it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we have different emotions other than happy and that's okay too. And when we talk about, you know, uh, how we're feeling, why we're feeling when you, we use emotional language, that is another way that we teach healthy social and emotional development, that we teach what's called social cognition and that awareness and emotional intelligence of how, how we feel, how other people feel, and, and that developing of the ability to take another person's perspective, right? Yeah. I might be feeling a certain way, you might be feeling a different way, and that's interesting and possible, and that's something that happens, right? Yeah. And, and we can work those kinds of conversations into our interactions with our baby every day, right? Yeah. Your baby is pro- probably going to see you cry in that first year. Right. First Several month. times, like probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and when, like, I mean, when, it, especially like if you have a toddler who is, is watching that happen, you can, you can take a second and say, I'm just so tired. When I feel tired, I feel sad sometimes. I wish I had X. I wish I could do blank, right? And when we model that kind of language to our children, we give them that ability to discuss it, to emotionally regulate their own self and their own emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And this is all part of brain development. This is yeah. all part of social emotional development. It's all connected. Yeah. Uh, and I also wanted to just um, bring up, you said, I think, I can't remember the words you used specifically, but this sense of like consistency and uh, being sort of consistent with the way we talk about things. Yeah. One of the things that I see um, that's really natural. And I think that there's this like, (laughs) there's this like movement of, I feel like in this discussion of early parenthood, we either see this like beautiful, happy, gorgeous, like, healthy I'm self-caring you know I'm <laughs> I'm perfect I'm the perfect mama and it's so magical or we see this like sort of like very jaded like yeah it's it's really hard it's effed up like yeah. it's like you know it's and it's like these two extremes but the reality is we live somewhere in between all the time and we can go from one extreme to the other extreme in a matter of seconds right <laughs> I mean that's called hormones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but I want to encourage people to, 
when you are engaging with your baby, your baby does not understand sarcasm. That yeah. is something, right? I mean, and I think we can, we tend to be sarcastic, especially in those early years of like, I don't know, the way we talk to our babies, it can, because it's a, it's deflection, it's a reflection of our own feelings of like, yeah, it's hard. Your baby's not going to get that. So the more consistent message you can send to your child about like, this is actually how I feel. This is not just how I say I'm feeling. Yeah. Uh, this is actually how I'm engaging with my partner. Um, and we are all going to have you know, we're all going to face difficult moments with our partners, whether that's uh, a fellow parent or a fellow caregiver. Uh, you know, you're not always going to be able to be your best self. Right, right. <laughs> um, but the more sort of healthy emotional behavior and engagement we can model to our children, even from those early moments and, and days and weeks and years, the, the better off we're equipping them. So just be aware of the way you talk to your partner and be aware of the way you're self-talking and be aware of the way you're talking to your baby because they are paying attention. Yeah. And I am so guilty of this, <laughs> right? I mean, I am not saying this to say that I do it right every, right. every day. You, my, my husband can tell you otherwise, but, <laughs> but the more we can be aware of the way we're doing that, the, the better equipped we are to be aware of how we can change those things and what tools we're giving our children. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I know one thing that, you know, is kind of a phrase in, in my house is, you know, I know you're feeling X, Y, Z, whatever it is, yeah. and entitled to those, you know, it's like, and that's know, okay. Right. Yeah. And that's okay. And it's like, you're entitled to that you know, you know, maybe we can't have a discussion right now, but later we are going to come back to this, you know, and, and I, I think that came from a fact of, you know, not having my own, you know, because sometimes you're like, you have no right to be mad. Well, yeah, actually I do have a right to be mad. You did something that pissed me off. You just don't like the fact yeah. that I'm mad. Right. And so removing yeah. that language of saying, no, we all have rights to these emotions and maybe they're, um, maybe they, they seem to you like they don't fit the situation, but that doesn't mean that there isn't something valid in there, you know, and, and, and teaching that mm -hmm. to the kids to, if they need to like blow their own steam off. And I'm glad you mentioned the sarcasm thing. You're not the first person I've had on the show. That's actually like mm. made a point to say, listen, kids don't actually get sarcasm. And so it can right. be degrading it depending on how it's used and, you know, around a kid. And confusing. Yes. Yeah. Extremely confusing. And so, um, thank you for, you know, so other people can hear that like, Hey, this is real things. They sure. don't get it try to limit it because it's, everything's got to be, you know, exactly what it is, you know, not, it, not shades of gray in there. Um, one of the things, yeah. that, um, and I had kind of warned you before we started recording, I said probably the most controversial topic we'll have today, um, is the, is this, uh, parenting philosophy of crying it out. You know, the, the way right. of getting your kid to soothe themselves is to just put them in their bed you know, keep letting them cry, cry, cry. Eventually they'll realize you're not coming to get them. And so they'll just figure out sleeping on their own. I know for me, and this is my opinion, and you know, and I, you know, told you you're invited to your opinion. Everybody's got them. We're all cool with that. Um, I know for yeah. me that I couldn't stand listening to my baby cry. I, you know, it was just like yeah. that baby's asking for me. What am I teaching them? That when they cry in the dark, no one's coming. And I know as a little kid, that's how I felt at times. You know, with my mm -hmm. own childhood experience, I thought that's not the feeling I want for my kids. So I just, I was like, no, I'm going to be with them and make sure that they feel safe and secure that I'm there and they'll eventually go to sleep. And you know what? They went to sleep. I mean, eventually that, you know, 
there, I didn't have to, you know, what I felt like was torturing, you know, in my opinion, but yeah. I know that that still gets put out there and there's some controversial, um, you know, studies on the relationship of crying it out to kids developing HD, uh, ADHD. Um, but mm-hmm. where's your thoughts on, on that topic? Because it's, like I said, it's still being doled out as a strategy oh, for yeah. parents to teach their kids how to go to sleep. Right. Well, first of all, I want to say that, again, we come into parenthood with certain expectations about the ways that we think it's going to be with certain philosophies, right? And, and then we get hit with reality. (laughs) And whether, whether, and I think, you know, our baby's temperament has a lot to do with, with the way that that sort of plays out. So first of all, there is no right way and there is no wrong way. There's only the right way for you and your family mm-hmm. there. I think what happens, and it's funny because I actually just yesterday released a, a new podcast episode on strength and words with an interview with a sleep consultant who talks all about like the different sort of ways that we can engage with our baby as far as sleep is concerned. And what one thing that she pointed out that I really appreciated it is that, you know, everything depends. Number one, this term sleep training, we, I think right now in our conversation about sleep in general right now in society and in America and Western society, we equate that term sleep training with cry it out. Mm-hmm. But uh, something she said was essentially training a child to sleep is, is giving the tools of, of sleep to that baby to that child, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether or not, however that's done. And there's of course a huge spectrum of ways that you can do it. And I think parents tend to be unaware of what that real spectrum is. Mm -hmm. Um, What, you know, because I think we often see it as like either that like really gentle parenting approach and you're either like, you know, co-sleeping or you're fervorizing, you Mm -hmm. know, just closing the door and walking out. Yeah. And, (laughs) there's just a lot of in between that we miss because we tend to think of things as black and white. And of course, like we all have different priorities. We all have different um, abilities, right? Some of us, some, some moms have to go to, to work full time at three months when their baby is three months old. How are they going to do that when the baby is sleeping you know, two hours at a time. Right. I didn't have to do that. So I don't know how they did that. They, they have to deal with that in their own home in whatever way they need to. And I think for me, like also I went into this with my first, my, I mean, I think the the answer is I can only speak to my own experience. Mm -hmm. And number one, like I, I came in with to parenthood, I, I fell into co-sleeping for the first couple of months because that was what was working. Mm-hmm. It then hit a point where it was no longer working for me. Mm-hmm. So I put him in his bassinet and had, you know, varying degrees of success. My baby fell asleep on my boob mm-hmm. almost exclusively for the first six months of his life. And, and at a point when he was like five months old, he started sleeping longer stretches. And that was amazing. <laughs> I was very... I guess you could call it quote unquote crunchy, but I didn't have like a specific, you know, 
I was just following what I needed to follow. Mm -hmm. I, I think the piece, the key is like, you have to do what works for you. And my own story shifts at six months because when my baby was almost six months old and he was doing these wonderful longer stretches, sometimes we then left and went on vacation and changed everything. (laughs) And I then went from sleeping, you know, sometimes six or seven stretches and feeling amazing to having a baby who was waking up every 45 minutes. And I was like, oh, no, 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 (laughs) no. I can't do this. Uh, And if you had asked me, are you, can you do, will you do cry it out ever? The day before I decided to, to do that, I would have said, no, I can't do it. And then I had to do it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean... I felt so guilty and so terrified that I was screwing him up and then he slept. Mm -hmm. That is my story. That is not the story that is going to work for everyone. And, you know, I mean, I would have judged myself (laughs) and then I had to deal with a reality that I couldn't deal with anymore. I hit my limit. Right. Um, And, and, you know, that's not to say that I was never there for my child when he cried at night. I, you know, (laughs) you, you, you figure it out piece by piece. I think really the answer to your question is, I don't think that there is a right way or a wrong way. I think the most, one of the biggest pieces of like, I guess, parenting advice that I like to give to friends or family who are about to have a baby is like, learn about what infant sleep is and is not and and learn about the sort of theories that exist before you have a baby because when you're so sleep deprived the last thing you're going to want to do is turn to google or read through the like you know earmarked chapters and whatever books you can get your hands on to deal with the fact that you are so exhausted yeah i think um you know we have to take care of ourselves we have to take care of our babies and whatever way works for your family is the way you should do it. Yeah. Without, <laughs> without guilt. It, it goes back. Yeah. To, it'll, it'll feel right to you. Like, you know, it'll feel like, you'll it's know. Something. Yeah. 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 And I think yeah. that that's, I mean, uh, that's a beautiful answer to that because you know, you might decide that I have to, like you did your, the conditions changed. So yeah. You had to adapt to it and, you know, and everything yeah. became what it was. I remember, um, with my second daughter that, um, you know, my son did a pretty good job with sleeping. And then I, you know, I kind of remember at three years old, I was really kind of pissed. Cause I was like, wait, he still hasn't slept through the night yet. Like, well, this is garbage. Like, you know, you're expecting <laughs> it six months, this magic happens. And it's like, uh, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but he got up like, you know, once or twice in the middle of the night, you know? Um, but I yeah. remember at one point my daughter, um, uh, my, the, you know, her dad came home. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. I think it was. Um, and I was breastfeeding as well. So I was up every two, three hours, you know, a night there. Yeah. And so finally I had this moment to take a nap. I crawled into bed and I pulled the covers up to my chin. And then I woke up like an hour later because my arms were numb because I had instantly <laughs> fallen asleep that my hands were still clutching the cover up around oh. my face. And uh, my uh, the circulation was cut off in my arms because they were bent up. Oh, you know, God. from then I was like, dude, I was tired. <laughs> you know, I was like, exactly. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> so, I, I think, you know, we, we, when you are, when you model a consistent response to your child, during awake time hours, during appropriate hours, that is, and the more consistent you can be at nighttime too, mm-hmm. then, then that is being there for your child. And yeah. I think, you know, 
it's so hard and we cannot judge until we have been there. And even then, you know, it's, it's such a personal experience and such a personal decision. So, and you know, and I guess if, you know, for parents that are going, you're not telling me anything, you're telling me basically, you know, that I have to start over (laughs) and there's no rules. Where, where am I going with this? Yeah. But I think you're, you want to, good luck. <laughs> Learn anything about parenting is that nobody knows what's going on, um, but but I think the right. reality, we are all winging it. <laughs> yeah, but you come back to love, right? I mean, if there's a consistency yeah. in there, and it's like you just just die, when in doubt, come back to love, right? And and you'll be yeah. fine there. Um, which you know, one of your chapters in your book, you have a section at fourteen mm-hmm. weeks called "Respect Your Baby," and I, I think it's yeah. a beautiful thing. And you're like you're respecting at fourteen weeks. What is the 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 gist of that? Because for people that want to dive into your book, yeah. I'm like, what, what do you mean by respect your baby here? Right. So I think really the piece is, you know, that babies are learning to form expectations about the way that they're treated starting from day one, right? They learn how we respond to their sounds, their cries, whether their communication attempts are valued, you know, by us, uh, by the way that we respond. And when um, we demonstrate to a child, to a baby, that they are valued, that those communication attempts are valued. We are showing them respect, right? We care about their needs. We care about what they uh, are putting out to us and enough to, to respond. And we develop a sense, we help them develop that, that trust and security, that social emotional development piece, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, you know, there is, you know, our babies are picking up just more and more information every day, right? Like, like I was saying, it's, they are, they're paying attention to everything. And as they grow, their brains form these ability to take notice of patterns. And when we use uh, this, like I was talking about a consistent response, um, then we show them that we can help them uh, navigate the world. Uh, and so I think the pieces about that is, you know, what number one, this has so much to do with what we were talking about earlier, right? About being aware of our own emotional responses mm-hmm. when our baby is watching, when our baby is present. Um, and our babies are learning what appropriate expressions of emotions are through us, right? Through Mm -hmm. our tones of voice, whether that tone of voice is consistent with what we're saying or not. And that's, again, that's that sarcasm piece. Um, And, and they're learning about whether, you know, we're making positive or negative observations about our babies, right? In their presence. What, I mean, I'm not saying that like, if you talk about how ugly your baby's toes are, that you're screwing them up for life, obviously. I mean, and what baby has ugly toes? Right, right, that's a right. silly example. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm just saying, like, when we make judgments, we are showing our babies that we are judging them. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's all, it, this all starts so early. And the more aware and intentional we can be about the way we engage with our children, from day one, the more we're setting them up for success as far as that social emotional development piece is concerned. Cool. So in the book, I go through and I talk about, you know, different, just very basic, specific ways that you can do that, like labeling your baby's emotions, 
um, or giving your baby time to respond to you when you ask a question. Again, that sort of serve and return piece, but you're, you're making space for your baby to take a turn, um, a, a, a conversational turn, right? And, and talking to your baby about what's coming next in the day, right? Making your baby a process, a part of that process of, of the day, right? Well, Talking through a process. Yeah. Right, so right. those are all little, little ways that you can show respect for your baby. And in doing those little things, you are supporting your baby's social emotional development. Yeah. And like you said, that is like week 14, right? So this <laughs> book goes through week by week, little things that you can do, right? Um, and, and each week is a different domain of development, whether it's motor development, social emotional development, cognitive development, or communication development. And of course, in each of these things, they're not only, like we said, addressing one area, because that main area is also like social, that piece of respecting your baby is also developing his communication development, right? So mm -hmm. it's not, it's, it's an easy sort of framework to look through things and it breaks things down like what you know my baby is fed and uh clothed and has had a nap and now he's staring up at me and I have no freaking clue what to do <laughs> what am I gonna do what well, can I do now yeah <laughs> yeah take a take a look at the book right <laughs> and it's you know it's and all of this stuff is like with stuff you already have in your home right because I think that's the other piece of it is that we get so bombarded with the sense of, <clears throat> you know, what can I get for my baby? What are the tools that I can buy for my baby so that he has the right equipment to learn? How can I, what can I get to support my baby? And really, it's not about what you buy for your baby. It's about the way that you interact with the materials that you have, whether those are fancy wooden toys, Mm -hmm. made of organic wood mm -hmm. and paint or whether not they lead are, paint. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or whether they are an empty egg carton. Mm -hmm. Like the value of each of those things is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if not, if, if, or the egg carton has more value mm -hmm. depending on the way that you use those tools to interact and play. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the key, right? It's all about maximizing that time that you have, whether you are full-time at home or full-time at work, to support your baby and engage with your baby and form that connection and bond. Mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't take fancy, expensive toys to be able to connect with your child right. and support your child. I, my, when my son was um, probably like six months or so, like, you know, he's not quite rolling and moving and stuff like that, but he's kicking, you know, and flailing around. And um, yeah. I've worked in the architecture, you know, design industry for a bit. And so I have trace paper, which is this roll of this really oh. paper and it's crunchy sounding like it makes. And I, know, you, know, um, you know, again, you talked about the baby business, the baby business is trying to tell you, you know, all the stimulating toys that your kid needs and why it's amazing. <laughs> got spirals and color and you know whatever and but right. I noticed that you know we you know somebody did buy us one of those little floor mats to put on the ground for them to play with and it, you know there was a, a little squeaker in a corner and but there was a section of it that actually did make like a crunchy sound and when he his heel found that one piece of it he kept mm. bobbing it making it and I thought well, I've, I've, you know, taken wads of trace paper and balled them up and thrown them, you know, for years now and, you know, into the corner waste bin. And I thought that makes the same sound. So I grabbed this roll of trace paper 
laid it out on the, you know, the rug um, and put him on it. And once he realized that every part of his body made that sound, oh. it was just adorable. <laughs> just watching him just kick, flail oh. and smile and stuff like that. And it was like, dude, this is the best toy ever. Exactly. Yeah. I And like we, these things, they are in our natural environment, like just all around us. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is a drum? It's something you can bang on, right? You can make a drum out of a laundry basket, out of a box, out of a bowl, out of a pot and a pan, out of a book, anything is, is a, is a drum. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) that's one thing. Um, Another thing I love, like as far as the, um, I love that the trace paper is awesome. Tissue paper is another great thing. Another one is like an empty white container. Also make like the soft ones often make that squishy, crunchy sound. And they're so great. And like, you don't need to buy an extra thing for your baby to have them engage in that. So I think really so much of it is like, how do we utilize the things that are already in our environment and maximize those tools so that we can maximize the interaction. Yeah. And be observant of what seems to be engaging and encouraging that. Um, Yes. Right. So much of it is following our child's lead. And like you, what a beautiful example that you gave, like he loved this tiny little piece of the mat and you noticed that and you max and you, you know, you took control of that and you created an opportunity and, and allowed him to engage in something that you didn't have to buy, that you already had in your trash bin, which is mm-hmm. often, as we know, the yeah. place to find the best toys. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and allowed him that experience. What a great, what a great mom, right? Well, you thanks. win for the day. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Yeah, no pets on it. That so was just easy. gut, though. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's the key, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when, we, when we do that, when we trust our gut, when we watch our baby engage with something in a new or different way, then we can think about, oh, what else do I have lying around? What else can I do to to allow them to engage with their environment or with me in that way or in a slightly different way, right? Mm-hmm. For this repetitive thing that they're trying to create value out of, right? Yeah. Your baby was learning all kinds of things about that little section of the map. If I move my, my leg in a certain way, if I hit it up and down, if I find it in that corner, is it in that corner? Is it in that corner? Right. He's problem solving. Mm -hmm. He's learning to move and engage his body and his muscles. He is uh, creating a cause and effect experience and he is playing with something in an, in a way that, that can change and shift depending on his level, right? Mm-hmm. And then you take something and you're like, okay, that is something he's experimenting with. How else can he experiment with this? I'm going to give him a repetitive experience in a varying way, right? So this rep- repetition with variation, I'm going I'm to find something that speaks to him, that to his interest right now, and I'm going to give him a different experience with that thing. That's how, that's awesome. Like, wow. that's, that's it. <laughs> I lucked Ta-da! into that one. <laughs> well, thank you. I know you. you weren't fishing for that, but like nope. that, that is, you know, that's great. Cool. cool. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> Cause I feel like, again, like most parents do, I've got probably 10 examples of where I really fucked it up. <laughs> so 
Um, well, and so, and you talk, <laughs> so do I. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want to talk real quick about it. Well, and it won't be real quick because we got to make it a good answer here for everybody listening, but <laughs> we do have parents that, you know, your book goes through zero to 12 months, but at yeah. about, at about three months, as we've mentioned and noted that, you know, a lot of parents have got, you know, maybe both of them were able and lucky enough to be able to take the time off. Um, but one of them, you know, may have been able to do it. Not every parent gets the benefit of maternal leave. Um, but when they do, they right. get about you know, that three month period. And then all of a sudden they got to go back to, you know, to school, to work, whatever it is. And now we're taking all this really important emotional and cognitive and social communicative development that we just said was like really, really critical. And we said, okay, now <laughs> someone else gets to do it for eight hours. And not everybody gets the benefit of picking who that person is going to be. Sometimes it's grandma. Yeah. And for me, it was mother, you know, my mother-in-law who stepped in because of, you know, she was available to do it. And it was helpful for me to, you know, while I stayed home a lot, I was still self-employed, but I did rely mm -hmm. on her. And, you know, everybody brings in, not everybody's a parenting or a childhood expert or development expert. Yeah. I want, you know, <laughs> what do we tell our, you know, how, how does our parents, you know, if they have the choice what what could they be looking for in that in that caregiver provider to help them feel like they're choosing somebody that uh, understands you know some of these mm -hmm. important things or the questions that they can ask and um, and then I guess the second follow up question to that is if they don't have a lot of choice in who that person is um, and they're okay with mm -hmm. that like you know mother in law is going to do this here um, mm -hmm. are they losing opportunities for this vital development to go you know, to happen still with their baby, if for some reason that eight hours spending with someone else isn't, isn't following, you know, the, some of the guidance and stuff. And that does happen. I mean, you know, you're sitting there going, yeah. I, I, you need to watch my kid and I wish you would do these things, but you know, they're doing what they mm -hmm. want to do or feel like they're doing there. I mean, so, um, how do we, how yeah. do we let new parents, you know, select or think about and questions to ask, you know, maybe a, a caregiver mm. and, um, and if they can't have, they messed up everybody, like, is the kid ruined, you know, can they overcome it at like five o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon? Right. Right. Oh gosh. That's a hard, that's a hard thing. And, and so many of us, <coughs> excuse me, have to deal with this. And of course, in the U.S., we go back very quickly to work. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I think the first thing to consider is, you know, have, have that person come in. If, if you are having a person who, who's coming into your environment, um, you know, consider how are they engaging with your baby? What kinds of ways do they talk to your baby? Are they using touch? Are they using materials are they you you know what what is their natural way of being and of course your your natural way of being doesn't have to be the same as their natural way of being some you know many people engage with babies in lots of different ways but you are going to know if you like that person's approach or not mm -hmm. um so that's you know that's if if you have uh, someone who's coming into your home now Oftentimes we have people who are that we're going into a caregiving environment, right? So a daycare, or a childcare center, or what have you. Um, one of the things there's been a lot of research about this, and one of the things that we know is that a child is going to uh, flourish and learn and develop beautifully in a an environment in which they have one or more primary caregivers, right? We mentioned this before, mm -hmm. um, and what you want to look for is, you know, a, a decent, uh, 
baby to caregiver ratio, um, a way that, you know, is there a small, if it's your baby who you're, you know, is there a baby room? Is there a place where that's safe for baby? Is there a lot of area that baby has to explore the environment? Is it a safe environment? Is it a cleanish environment? You know, and it doesn't have to be sparkling and beautifully organized, right? Mm -hmm. Most of our homes don't look like that, I'll be right. honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, but it, it does need to be safe and it does need to, you know, be easy to explore, right? So that, and that doesn't have to be like complicated, right? Mm -hmm. Does your baby have a place to roll around on the floor and explore the floor? Does the baby have different kinds of things to explore, whether that's, you know, toys with different textures, toys with, you know, an outside and an inside environment, for instance, you know, um, you know, things like that. What is important to you? And, and then I think also, like, is the opportunity within that environment, is it a lot of TV? Is it... Um, is it a lot of electronic toys? And I'm talking like button pushing toys, right? Yeah. These are great toys to have. A few of these is awesome. But if that's all you see in that environment, then then you're gonna, your baby is going to be learning about cause and effect all day. Mm -hmm. And that's just one way to explore the world, right? Like yeah. you press a button, something happens. Yeah. That's awesome. But the way, as we know, that, that babies learn and develop and explore is through that, those simple materials like, contact paper or tissue paper or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. That is the way, that, that open-ended play where there is no specific way that you are supposed to engage with that play material, right? right. So, yeah. so what kinds of materials are in the environment? Um, and, and how are the, the caregivers engaging with the babies? You'll know if, if, you, if you agree with or, or feel comfortable with mm -hmm. those ways. It, and it's so hard because, you know, I have very close friends who have, who have been like, okay, I'm going to go back to work. Uh, I'm going to put, this seems like a fine place. Uh, I'm, this is where my kid is going to go. And then a few months later, felt like, no, this was not the right place for my baby. There's no good communication. My child is always hungry or tired or not changed or whatever it is. Like, you'll know whether it's not the place for you. Yeah. Um, course navigating when it's like a family member yeah and they have their way of doing <laughs> that comes with his own right yeah. right think, yeah like the <laughs> I think uh you know a friend of mine who whose mother-in-law watches their kids on a fairly regular basis was talking to me about like you know what do, I was asking like how what is it like is this is she are you happy with that? I know it saves you money, but how is it? And she was like, you know what? It's not how I would do it, but I, I know, and I can trust that my baby is fed, clothed, changed. Um, she's safe mm -hmm. and she's making a, you know, she has a good relationship and an important positive primary relationship with, with her grandma. And right now that is important. Yeah. And so it's all about, you know, what, managing your expectations, having a clear understanding of what you expect and what your caregiver expects or caregivers expect and, and making sure to check in often with, you know, how that's going. Because mm -hmm. like any relationship, it, it has to be an ongoing relationship. And if you can't trust 
the caregiver or caregivers that you employ or you know reap the volunteer benefits from especially if it's a, a mother-in-law or a mother or whatever mm -hmm. then you know it's we don't always have the luxury of getting the exact person that what we that we want right I guess, you know, part of this too is to, um, to assure, you know, that there is, you know, babies can form multiple, you know, positive relationships. Um, yeah. and, and that's a good thing. And that's a part of the learning yeah. experience. Um, and then mm -hmm. when you've got your baby back with you at the end of the day, you still get to yeah. really strengthen that relationship with them. Absolutely. You know? And those things are so like, it's in those basic routines that we do every day and rituals, whether those are, you know, a few minutes of a at a time or the entire day, right? I mean, let's face it. We know that a stay-at-home mom is not spending her day on the floor with her baby just staring at each other, right? No, That's right. not happening. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and taking advantage of those moments like folding the laundry or changing a diaper or you know, sitting on the chair and singing a lullaby or listening to a lullaby and padding along to the rhythm if you're not comfortable singing yourself. Um, those are the moments that we create bonding experiences and that we teach and learn and, and, and help our babies learn. Um, and we can, we can maximize those moments because those repetitive kinds of experiences are the ones that often matter most and can can we can utilize to the sort of best of our ability to mm -hmm. really to take those moments and really make them count right so you've got you mentioned your podcast and your your mm -hmm. website um that's called strength in words and it's a yeah. valuable resource for you know the new parents and and you know that are do, going through this and wanting to look for this please tell everybody about you know the podcast show and the website and the and the community lab that you have set up yeah thank you so uh strength in words is the place for families to come to access high quality evidence-based you know, uh, resources about how our babies learn and develop and also to access each other uh, and other professionals. Um, so on the podcast, I often cover a topic, uh, whether that's some kind of developmental learning, whether that's some uh, issue of early parenthood, and I often have a guest who I'll bring on to talk about, you know, either their personal experience or a professional who talks about their professional experience. Uh, so it's a nice variety of both personal and professional. And we take it all with a grain of salt. And hopefully, uh, you know, those, th those topics that we cover, you get to, you know, learn from and integrate into your own life in whatever way you see fit. Mm -hmm. um, and then the community lab is where we get to engage with that con content and synthesize that information because we know that there's only so much information we can ingest before uh, it's enough. Right. And, you and have I to do. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's that place where we can come together and discuss what we're learning and how it's working or not working for us. And, you know, we can't parent in isolation. We were not meant to. We are humans. We don't do things isolatedly, mm -hmm. right? 
social and emotional development is so important for parents too. (laughs) And and this sense of like continuing education as parents, as grownups, you know, we, I think the community lab is a place that we can, just like our babies are consistently and constantly experimenting with the world around them, we need to have a place where we can experiment with what works and what doesn't work for us as parents and caregivers, whether that's the way, you know, what we can use to play with our babies or, you know, you know, have, have you used toy rotation before? How did that work for you? Or, you know, oh, here's a way that I've been playing with my baby in a caregiving routine. This is working for us right now. Or, you know, mm-hmm. this is something that I'm really struggling with. What kinds of experiences have you, do you have with this, right? So it's not a place to impart parenting advice. It's a, pay, a place to share resources, share experiences and ideas, um, and, and give, and give that to each other, right? Cause that's a gift. Yeah. And when we, when we learn more and have access to other parents and caregivers experiences, that's, that's a place where we can just learn and stop judging. Right. I yeah. mean, we can, we can take that judgment piece out and say, Oh, I've never had to deal with that. That's really interesting fascinating and now I can see how my best friend who's dealing with that probably feels I had never thought about that before right I think first of all you know many of us don't have access to community-based organizations unfortunately Uh, and even when we do we don't always get to access the the kinds of high quality programming that may may or may not exist in our communities and so having a virtual space where we can do that is awesome and i do have lots of you know live workshops and replays of workshops uh, that we do consistently within the community and that you know you can access that at sort of a premium level but that community and that space is open to everyone so Cool. Um, and, and that's at community.strengthinwords.com. And strength in words. I want to emphasize that because I think a lot of people can get confused with strengthen versus strength in. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's your speech pathology coming out right there. <laughs> yes, I know. Sorry. I'm yeah. And, and I'll have yeah. a link for listeners. It'll be in the podcast notes and stuff like that. So awesome. we can get, and, and also a link to your book um, that is available yeah. on Amazon and paperback and Kindle, mm-hmm. Understanding Your Baby, a week by week development and activity guide for playing with your baby from birth to 12 months. So um, uh, I yell it. I am so stoked. I'm happy and thankful <laughs> that you did this with me today. I appreciate you taking all this time. This was, this was an awesome episode. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It was, oh. it was, a, it was an enjoyable morning. Yeah, awesome. <laughs>